0: You can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Paco. Hi, Bola. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. So I'm excited to have you here because this is a very different podcast in the sense that I've never had a former
1: collections agent. Collections (laughs) agents, they get a bad rep, you know?
0: I know, so you're gonna be sharing with us how your experience working as a collections agent for Bank of America helped you understand the deep emotions people have with money. And you're gonna break down just navigating that with the listeners. But before we dive into this topic, please tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Absolutely, thank you. My name is Paco De Leon. I'm an author. I wrote the book, Finance for the People. And I also run a company called The Hell Yeah Group. The Helyar Group does a couple of things. We create content and do things like what you are experiencing right now, where I go on the internet and I talk to people about money. And that's all in the name of having more conversations about money so that we can be less weird about money and so that we can understand our emotions, understand all the things that are impacting who we are and how we think money works in the world. The other thing I do is I run a bookkeeping agency called Hell Yeah Bookkeeping and rerun Mm -hmm. the accounting and the books for production companies, marketing agencies, interior design firms, basically a creative company that has multiple jobs at multiple times. We help them sort through the money moving through the accounts.
0: That's awesome. And I love the name of your business, Hell Yeah Group. Thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. And congratulations on your book, by the way. Thank you so much. So let's dive in. And I'd love for you to start by telling us, how did you start your job, your career as a collections agent for Bank of America? Did you decide that, you know, I want to work in collections? How did you fall into that space? And All right, Bola, What was the motivation?
1: <laughs> I have to say that you said career in collections, and I just want to make it abundantly obvious and clear that I do not see my time at Bank of America (laughs) as a career. So I like kind of like in the fourth quarter of college, like a a minute to go, basically, like I had to choose what I was going to study. Right. Mm -hmm. And I went back and forth. I was like, maybe I'll do English or do something, you know, that would be considered. What is that considered?
0: Perf- like not a- performing
1: arts, liberal arts. Liberal I was arts, like, okay. Yeah. I was like, maybe I'll do liberal arts. I'm creative. And then I could always like parlay an English degree into something like quote unquote more practical, like law school. But then I realized, like, dude, you're not, you don't love school. You're not that kind of a person. So I was like, well, business seems like the move. I'll probably always work for a business. And if that's the case, then I'll always like be able to get a job. Right. So I was selling myself this illusion of security. And so I picked business, then I picked finance. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I should probably try to get some kind of finance job now. So I have it on my resume. I was like trying to be proactive. Of course, I you know i grew up in an immigrant family and everybody around me there were a few jobs you could do right there was mm-hmm. medical which was if you want to make a lot of money you want to be secure you want to be stable go into being a nurse if you're like really ambitious be a doctor right there was of course like lawyer engineer which are like again you are you are doing your parents right by by really going for it career wise and then there's like the working class folks that I was surrounded by. They're the people who work at the post office, the people that work in factories. And so I'd never known anyone with a liberal arts degree. I'd never known anyone who really like did something like finance, which is incredibly abstract. Where you sit like in an air conditioning room, <laughs> air conditioned room, and you like thinky thinky, typey typey, you know, make more money from <laughs> from money like that. To me, was magic, and I was like, I want to know what's going on there. And I get to sit, right? And I don't have to like, quote unquote, work that hard and you make a bunch of money. So that's honestly why I picked finance. And then as I'm trying to get a job, nobody I know can get me into Goldman Sachs. Nobody I know can get me any sort of internship that's meaningful. So I just start applying to banks. I'm applying to be a teller. And this is like probably 2006. So things are going well for the bank, but it's right before everything kind of falls apart with the housing crisis. And so I apply for this job that's called credit manager, and I didn't know really what that was. I either didn't read the description very well, got desperate and kind of didn't care, or I think the language led me to believe that the job was not sitting on the phone four hours a day, five days a week, asking people to pay their car loans. Well, it turns out that was a job. And I went in and there was kind of an audition. Like, first of all, it feels like a cattle call. And so there's a big line. A lot of people are applying for this job because they're hiring like a whole class of people, like 30, 40 collectors. So we wait in line and then we do this like quick one-on-one interview where the woman literally asks us to role play. So she's like, she's pretending to be somebody I'm collecting a debt from and I'm struggling. Oh. I'm, yeah. I'm like treading water. I'm just, she's just like, I can't pay. And I'm looking at her like, cause I'm a very non-confrontational person. Right. And I'm looking at her like, okay, sorry. You know, like apologizing. And I left that interview being like, not a snowflakes chance in hell. I got that job. <laughs> I Somehow I got the job And the first thing you do is you go into this like a classroom environment. They teach you all the laws, right? There's all these laws about collections, when you can call, when you can't call, how frequently you can call, what is harassment, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they teach you how to use like the bank systems, right? So you're like toggling back and forth between all the bank systems and understanding how to read it. And so I, you know, start doing that job and I start... (laughs) calling people and asking for money. And, you know, it was a job that I stumbled in and Mm -hmm. it was really weird at the time. And it's, and the further away I get from doing that job, the weirder it it seems. Like, I can't believe I started my like, quote unquote, finance career being a debt collector for a (laughs) huge evil bank, like Bank of America. It's crazy.
0: (laughs) But then you got all this experience, right? That kind of helps you in what you do and how you support other individuals today right based on your experience and tied to the topic we're discussing around the emotions around money so you fell into this job by chance definitely not a career I think the only person who I know well I don't know but the only person I think (laughs) the only person I think decided to make a career out of debt collection was have you seen Confessions of a Shopaholic (laughs) that was one of my favorite movies way back is she a debt collector no, there there was a guy in the book and in the movie, and oh, it right. was Derek Smead.
1: Right, that's right. Okay, yeah, it's all and coming he back like, to me now. He
0: took his, he took his job so seriously. Like, he even showed up when she was on a talk show, yeah. and he was asking questions from the audience about her death. So that's <laughs> the only person I know. <laughs> And it's not even a real person.
1: I mean, <laughs> it's a wild career. There's a lot of different like ways you could go about it. They, they would call us baby collectors. And then there were hardcore collectors, but like, oh, wow. a, yeah, because everybody who worked kind of on my team, we were all part time. A lot of us were going to college. We were just looking for a job to kind of give us cash while we were going through school. But there were the eight hour day collectors, you know, who were like, you know, not that far away on the on the collecting floor and they're hardcore collectors and their accounts in foreclosure. And so I got to kind of see that world from that perspective. I know that there's this whole other side of collections where people like companies who can't collect on a debt, they'll sell that debt to a Mm -hmm. collections agency. And then those people are trying to, so basically a collections agency will buy like a hundred dollars of debt from let's just call it a credit card company for, let's say $25. And they'll go and try to collect either the full hundred or anything between the hundred And they're trying to make money on that collection. So that's how that world works. To be clear, I didn't work in that world. I never worked for an agency. I always worked for the bank and I was always collecting on auto loans. And the loans Mm -hmm. I collected on were no more than 30 days late. So a lot of people had just like forgotten. But the main thing that there's a lot of main things. There's a few main things that I learned from this job. One of them was how to ask people hard questions about money because mm-hmm. part of the training process was every time you speak to a borrower, one of the things on your checklist that you have to ask is why are you late on your payment? Mm-hmm. And I'm asking 30 to maybe up to a hundred, I would say people within a four hour period, why were you late on this payment? And do you know how like intrusive that must feel for people who are not comfortable talking about money. And then on top of that, this whole concept of like not being current on your debts has all of this psychology and emotions and shame and guilt. And I'm this disembodied voice on the phone, some kid, right? Who's just like, and can you tell me why you're late on your payment this month? And I got the range of answers. I got people who were really like, Pissed that I asked that, and they they would (laughs) be offended, and say that that's such a personal question. They get really upset with me, and then I had people who were very vulnerable and honest, and then I had some weird Mm -hmm. stuff where like I live in Southern California. I grew up in the suburbs and I was living in the suburbs at the time. And like, I remember one guy telling me he hit a deer two times in a month and that's why he was late on his payment. He had to deal with okay. that. And I was like, that's so, wow. yeah, it's so crazy. So you hear that, you know, you learn how to ask people these hard questions. And the first time that you're doing it, you're kind of, I'm like literally wincing. I'm like, Oh, I know I have to ask this question, but it's hard to, I feel uncomfortable. And what that did was that even shine the light on me and, how I felt about money, how I felt about what was proper, how I felt about this whole idea of like people don't talk about money, especially to strangers. Mm -hmm.
0: So I just want to give the folks listening some context about what you said in terms of like the different types of debt collection, right? So there is debt collection for the owner of a debt. So for example, you work for Bank of America, they own the auto loan debt, and you were calling people that were 30 days late on their debt. And then there is debt collection that's sold to collection agencies where essentially the owner of the original debt has written this debt off and sold this debt to another entity willing to take on this debt, likely at a discount. And their goal is to recoup their expense of buying that debt and maybe earn a profit by then pursuing that debt that has been written off by me, the original owner of the debt. So the way debt works is very interesting because there's a lot of money to be made, right? So for example, you may get a car loan or a mortgage and within 30 days or 60 days, you notice that you now have a new lender's name. And that's because your debt has been sold at a profits to a new lender who's going to try to capitalize on making their own profit from your interest payments. <laughs> so Wild debt, world. debt is big business and you are the product so yeah absolutely you know, when you were explaining having to ask people the hard questions why are you late on your debt right I'm sure you got all kinds of answers crazy answers funny answers serious answers how did you feel emotionally yourself how did you especially when you were first new to it I can imagine that after a few weeks a few months you kind of built up a barrier where you're like, I'm just asking a question, whatever. But initially, how did you manage your
1: own emotions of listening to other people's difficulty? Allowed myself to be touched by other people's pain. And I think that's really what has like made me who I am today. People Mm -hmm. are oftentimes, my empathy is notable. And that to me is crazy that me being an empathetic person in the world of finance is remarkable, which means worth having a remark on, right? I think Mm -hmm. it should just be regular. Like We should just be people trying to help people. But I understand why other people have had to maybe shut down their emotions and not get so touched by other people's experiences. Because how are you supposed to do your job? I mean, we do this on a regular basis. Living in Los Angeles, we are constantly, I'm constantly seeing folks who are unhoused on the streets. Mm -hmm. And some days you just have to Put your eyes down and shut it down. Otherwise, how are you ever going to get anything done in that day, right? So I think we have to find the balance of where can we be compassionate? Where can we give back? Where can we be empathetic? And then where can we protect our own emotions and have our boundaries so that we can manage our own lives, right? hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think at first I just felt really hella awkward. And I literally would like kind of wince and I would like maybe even hold my breath and just be like, you know, it's like when you're going into a cold pool and, you know, it's going to be re- really uncomfortable. And over time, what I realized is that I don't start it. I don't that's not the first thing I ask people. I came up with a way of having a really warm voice and being really friendly <laughs> and caring throughout the entire call and empathetic. And then by the end, I've earned a rapport, right? I've earned this ability to ask this hard question at the end. So I would always kind of tag it on at the end after I've kind of, you know, maybe helped them out, whatever, however I've helped them out, or maybe just gotten information so I could update their notes. But at the end, I would always ask. And I would say things like, and may I ask, or can I ask, or, I'm sorry to ask this, but can I ask you why you're late on this payment this month? You know, And so I got good at delivering a hard, uncomfortable question in an easy way. And I think I've made an entire career out of that. Like I, I always joke that the way that I talk about finances is the way that you give a dog a pill and I just wrap a bunch of cheese around it. And before you know it, somehow the dog is eating the pill. And like before I know it, <laughs> suddenly people are like, oh yeah, okay, now I understand credit scores or something like that.
0: Yeah. You know what you said, that we are in a, a space where empathy is rare. And I, I definitely agree with you, even in the personal finance space, in in banking, what is empathy,
1: <laughs> right? right?
0: But even wow. in the personal finance space, and I, I saw that a lot, I saw that more so in this space, in my space, as people were struggling through the pandemic, And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, is it that difficult to be empathetic? But then I kind of reasoned that, it could be multiple things. It could be, you know, when something is so difficult that if you allow yourself to get sucked into it, you may not be able to get out of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: People put up barriers and blocks. So, like you said, you're driving by the homeless people and you can't stop every time, right? You have to mm-hmm. go to work. You have to go get groceries for your, your family. You can't, you cannot feed all the homeless people. You know, you can try to do something, but is it even enough? And people put up these this type of barriers where they just don't deal with it. And as a result, they become cold yeah without even realizing it because they're in a way protecting their own emotions and protecting themselves and their their energy and all of that it's it's interesting the dynamics around why people are not empathetic because i like to believe that it's not intentional
1: yeah i think um, it's an act of self-preservation for sure yeah.
0: yeah so given the the conversations you learned how to gently ask this question to comfortably ask this question What did you learn about the deep emotions that people who are in this collection space were navigating? Like, what were some of the common feelings or range of emotions that you saw them or or you heard them experiencing as you were having these conversations or when you thought back to the conversations that you had?
1: I would say probably the top emotions that I could audibly understand that people were going through was Embarrassment is pretty high on that list. And that can come from a whole range of people, right? People who just forgot about their payment. They Mm -hmm. felt very embarrassed. Like it was forgetting about paying a debt, seemed to them like a reflection of poor character and being irresponsible. And I get that. I understand that we all want to be upstanding citizens and make good on what we owe. So I can understand that feeling. A lot of anger. And one of the things I've learned, which I'm sure, I mean, I know you know this, but not everybody thinks about this. Like one of the things that I I learned at that job was never co-sign for for someone you're like not married to basically. (laughs) Because there was a lot of chasing down, like I'd call a grandma and she'd be like, that's my grandson. I know. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. (laughs) So some people were like resigned. They're just like, I made this decision and it was a bad choice and I have to deal with the consequences, but a lot of people would be angry. And of course, there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And I would say those were definitely the top emotions that I think people had when dealing with the debt collector.
0: Mm -hmm. The shame, embarrassment, guilt, obviously a lot of that coming from co-signing for other people that are either irresponsible or just facing financial situations that have now cascaded into your own life and you know what those emotions the the embarrassment the shame the guilt these are emotions that people generally feel with money right even if they're not in collections but I think that the big angle with the collections agent here is that it kind of gets I'm looking for the word it kind of gets profiled in the sense that now there's a third party or another person who knows And it's now calling me out on it, which can make those emotions even more amplified, right? So I've been managing my shame and my guilt in the background, but it's just me. And now there's this person. Who's calling me out on it? Oh my god, this stranger. Yeah, it, it it can it can make someone feel so much worse. It can make someone feel like all the emotions you're managing about mistakes you have made. Because we do a lot of self judgment when we're not doing well with our money. We do a lot right. of self shaming. Those now become amplified, right? And I'm sure that there are strong links. I mean, I've, I haven't really seen any studies on it, but I'm sure there are strong links between mental health and someone who's navigating difficult financial situations versus someone who's dealing with connect collections. Absolutely. Other people being aware and managing a difficult financial situation. So there's like big differences in those two categories. So now that you are past that job, right, you're much beyond that. You own your own business. You're supporting creatives and individuals with their personal finances, business finances. You have a bookkeeping agency. You have that foundational experience and then you have other experiences, What specific things do you guide people to do to just avoid this whole collection situation in the first place? So I have a bill I'm behind on my bill, but I don't want to wait for the collections
1: agent to call me. What do I do? Honestly, after working in collections, I'm very kind of lax when I notice a bill is late, mostly because (laughs) I mean, for a few reasons if somebody calls me and I'm late on a payment, I know exactly the position that they've been in. And so I'm not afraid of them, right? They're just Mm -hmm. some kid or some person sitting in a call center with their headset on and it beeps and my account shows up and that's why they're (laughs) calling me, right? They're just doing their You have no power, right? You're not a god of connection somewhere. (laughs) I mean, I will be like, so where are you guys located? You know, I'm just like (laughs) shooting the with everyone who works in customer service on the phone but if ever a collector would call me I know that that's how I'd be there's also these things I've learned I learned that typically a lot of payments have a lot of debt will will offer you a grace period not every lender is going to offer you a grace period but a lot of them do and within that grace period you're not going to get charged any late fees so I don't know it could be 5 days it could be 10 days. So if I've missed a payment I don't usually panic and I advise other people not to panic although my partner if she gets a late notice automatically panics and I try to tell her you know we don't have to panic I know there's a grace period on this and for whatever reason maybe we switched accounts or things happen and things don't get paid on time and she freaks out and I try to say You know, it's going to be okay. So I deal with that firsthand in my life. So, one, know if there's a grace payment, inquire if there's a grace payment. Typically, there is. Two, when it comes to your credit score, typically lenders only report a late payment at 30 days late, at 60 days late, Mm -hmm. at 90 days late. And then again, at 120 days late at that point, it might be like discharged, which means they're saying we can't collect on this and either they're going to sell it to an agency or they're going to write it off as bad debt on their company books. Mm -hmm. And so knowing about the grace period helps because that gives you a little bit of time. You don't have to freak out. And then knowing that, okay, if you are struggling, you have 30 days to figure this out before it negatively impacts your credit. So I think those are two really important things. I mean, the elephant in the room, the hardest thing to address is if you are late on your payments because of income, that will be a big problem that will continue to, Cause a ripple effect across your financial life, and f- to focus on that first. However, I know that solving that problem is not as easy as, let's say, cutting back on your expenses, right? Slashing yeah. how you're spending. So finding that balance. Let's see what else. Well, how else can I help people who are dealing with with debt? I mean, if you're already in collections, right? Let's say you're in, you're past the grace period, you're before the thirty days past due. I would try to find somebody who can help you at wherever your lender is i can speak to the fact that, that i was a compassionate person who worked as a collector i mean more often than not i would be on the phone telling somebody i'm so sorry that you're experiencing this let me see if i can help you get an extension on your payments and and walk you through what that process is like and mm-hmm. And really the consequences of that, because at the end, you might owe these three payments that we're skipping. And so you need to financially prepare for that. So, you know, really just finding a a person. And sometimes I do this, like I do this when I'm trying to lower my bill. So sorry, I'm mixing up all these concepts here. But sometimes if I call Verizon, who is my wireless provider for many, 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 many years, and they keep, you know, they slowly increase your bill. I call them and I'm like, "Hey, can you help me?" And if that person doesn't help me, I just hang up and I call again until I get a person who is willing to work with me. So, you know, that's a hard thing to do, but I think it's absolutely worth it because there are good people out there. You just have to find them and they and they do want to help you. And it's their yeah. job. Hey everyone, before we continue with
0: this podcast episode, I'd love for you to check out the best-selling Clever Girl Finance book series. There are three books in the series, and the first book is Clever Girl Finance, Ditch Debt, Save Money, and Build Real Wealth. The second book is Grow Your Money, Learn How Investing Works. And the third book is called The Side Hustle Guide, Build a Successful Side Hustle and Increase Your Income. You can also check out my fourth book called Choosing to Prosper, Triumphing Over Adversity, Breaking Out of Comfort Zones, Achieving Your Life and Money Dreams. And this book highlights my personal story to building a business of impact and challenges you as the reader to dig deep into laying out what you truly want to accomplish for yourself. I wrote each of these books to empower women just like you to achieve your goals and get to the point where you're living the life you desire on your own terms. If you love these books, be sure to tell your best girlfriends and they also make the perfect gift. These books are available everywhere books are sold, and you can purchase them as ebooks, audiobooks, and also physical books and you can also ask your local library to order them as well. Thank you so much, and let's get back to the episode yeah i I definitely agree with you you know I always tell people like if you're trying to navigate a financial situation and you're talking to somebody and they're being mean and nasty, hang up and call back and talk to somebody else or ask to talk to somebody else because you just highlighted that this is a person, very likely a young kid or maybe an older person, part time job with headphones they don't really give a damn about you. They may not even care about the company they work for. Really, they're not vested in your success. Right. Exactly. So they, you know, the the attitude they give you has absolutely nothing to do with you. It could be because their lunch, their lunch is late. Right. They're breaking up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. Right. It's nothing to do with you. But I do like the tips that you said, you know, and just giving context as to a lender or whoever is not going to report your debt as late until the 30 day mark, the 60 day mark. So even if you're 15 days late, you still have the opportunity to catch up on your payment right because it hasn't yet been reported or sent off to the collections department and like you said finding a resource to help you communicating to your lender your service provider whoever your bank that you know what i'm struggling financially right now do you have a program that can help me so it doesn't hit on your on your credit i was wondering when you were making those calls did you ever have so i'm going to give you two scenarios and you can answer them in order or however you you want to answer but did you ever have Someone who said, "No, I don't owe that. You're lying. <laughs> that is not true. I don't owe you any money." Or did you ever have someone who said, "Well, I know I owe you a thousand dollars, but I can give you 150 <laughs> fifty." try to negotiate with you?
1: Yes, I definitely feel I can't recall a time that somebody said, "No, I don't owe you that." Okay, actually, that that has happened. So, like, you have to remember this was between 2006 and 2008. And to this day, Bank of America's online technology is a pile of dog crap. So if somebody like went into the bank moments before I called them and paid and the system hasn't updated, that would be a time where somebody would be really pissed that I called them because they're like, I just went to Bank of America 30 minutes ago and I made my payment. Why are you guys calling me or harassing me? So for sure, I've had that. And of course, I apologize profusely and you know i do what i can to you know not make that person's day worse and make them feel crappier about the fact that they were late you know that sucks and then for sure there have been times where people owe two payments or they're about to be late on their second payment and they can only make that first payment and we do notate that you know we would note note that in our system and we would then our job was to make that person aware of pretty much what they're already aware of right which is You know, we're going to call you, we're going to continue to call you to follow up on this and this can negatively impact your credit. And Mm -hmm. for people who, you know, when we're doing these calls, we can see the account history. So we can see people who are constantly in collections. We can see people who are, maybe this is their first time being in collections. It's really, it's terrible to see people who are caught in this cycle and know that even if you gave them an extension or figured out something, There's a deeper problem that you as a collector, as you as a random bank employee, cannot help with. And I think that also really stuck with me. I thought, gosh, there's there's a lot people don't know. They don't even know how credit scores work or how debt is Hmm. impacting them. And they're caught in this cycle. There's got to be a way to to meet these people where they're at and to like set some of this information free. And I would say that this job really, it wasn't the I didn't have this job and then thought I want to change the world and help people with their finances. But it was kind of the first layer, right? It was the first time I could see with eyes wide open, kind of how the world worked Mm -hmm. and the kinds of people that got left behind. And it really touched me. And it it made me really understand that if I have the superpower of teaching people about money and meeting them where they're at and making this really, really emotionally charged topic, less emotional and more just easy to digest. I really have to, I have to do that. Otherwise I'll always wonder in my life who who I could have helped and what I could have done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you try to do, help people in the best way that you can. And sometimes someone who is you may be struggling so badly financially right but there's someone out there who is struggling much worse than you and you may not be able to give them a dollar to help them because you haven't figured out how to sort out your own financial financial situation but even a kind word even a resource even some insight to help that person can be a game changer, right? Helping other people is not always about... So for you, was the tone you took when you spoke to them, asking them, how are you? You know, mm-hmm. making small talk, you know, before you said, where is, your, where is the money? <laughs> right? Better have my money. <laughs> yeah, but even that would have been, for someone who is really deep in it, just having yeah. that kind conversation could have just brightened up their day, right? Could have right. helped them just... Feel a little better about the mess, and I'm sure that when you were talking with people, you probably spoke to a lot of people who just did not give a damn. Yes, I owe you money, so what?
1: Exactly. What? Yeah. What are you gonna come come get it? Exactly. Exactly. Those people, thank you to all those people who, who kept me entertained at the very least.
0: <laughs> so for the ones who, who would try to negotiate with you, right, who will say, oh, you know, I have some of it. I don't have all of it. How would you direct them? And for someone who's listening, who is, I know the rules around the way you can be contacted around collections has changed. People get letters about it now. And the letters are like, the letters are like, <laughs> they're not nice. <laughs> they can't call you to say it, but they can write it to you. <laughs>
1: they've figured out a way around it right around the laws i mean full disclosure my knowledge about the world of collections and the law surrounding it is very stale if you can believe Mm -hmm. it i have not kept up with what the collections laws have been i'm not you know i'm not because it was not your career (laughs) exactly i'm not dealing with it day to day so i don't know all the nuances but at the time Mm -hmm. we could call people as many times if they didn't pick up i remember So I could see on the screen that multiple people were trying to call that day. But if they never pick up, we just keep calling. I know that at the time, if we finally had a chance to speak with them that day, we legally couldn't call them anymore that day. That was it. We had one opportunity to have one contact. And then in terms, your question was not about that.
0: But it was, was, how would you direct someone who says, "Well, hey, Paco, yeah, I I know I'm late on my payment. I wasn't able to pay, but I have some of the money. Right. Can so, I, Can the, I get
1: a lower payment? Oh, definitely. When it came to, can I get a lower payment? There was an entirely different department that could help us with that. So I okay. can't remember what they were called. I can't remember what they're called off the top of my head, but I would, you know, put them on hold, call somebody from that department, say, hey, can you check out this account? Is there a way that we can, oh gosh, I feel like, why can't I remember the word? Whatever it was. Hey, can you, can we figure out something out to lower their payment? And they would, Either typically they would have to take some time to research the account and and figure something out. And then I would typically transfer them over to that department and they would go on their merry way. In terms of only being able to make a partial, I mean, that would probably be the best long-term solution for people who can no longer afford the debt that they took out. I think what we're going to be seeing here, though, in 2023 and beyond is with auto loans, unfortunately, that people are going to be underwater. And I think yeah. macro-wise, especially with the overvaluation of used cars that we experienced from 2020 to through 2022 because of all of the supply chain issues, inflation, increased demand, that I think really pushed up the value of used cars. People got Cars or and and new cars. People bought these cars under those price points. And then what they're going to see is oops, there's going to be a correction in that car today or you know, going forward is worth less. And then people are going to be underwater, which means they're going to owe more on the car than what is due. Unfortunately, I've seen folks who, you know, at the end of their car loan still owe money, but they go and get another car and get another loan. Yeah. And they roll it over and it's getting insane. And then they're even more underwater. So, I mean, that is an entirely different ball of wax where I feel like we can have several episodes on that. But yeah, I mean, I think the first step too is just like talking about this as much as we can so that people understand what's at stake. And the thing, here's the thing that the bank taught me that whenever I think about borrowing money, I think, how can I get screwed here? What is the craziest (laughs) way that this bank is gonna try to screw me? Because I've seen people get screwed, right? I've seen people who took out loans they couldn't afford. And then they agreed to terms like adjustable rate mortgage and they, the rate readjusted when interest rates went up, then they owed more than they could ever owe than the they house They couldn't was afford taken the away.
0: monthly payment. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And
1: so yep. I'm like, the most screwed you could ever get is they'll come and they'll take away your house. Okay, great. Like, what do I need to understand about the mechanics of this loan, how this all works so that the worst case scenario I am fortified against.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, just as a reminder for folks who are listening is that you know think about what paco said in that when she was working in collections she was not a god of collections she was a regular human being i think for many people that is the stumbling block where they think this person has this power over them right and we just talked about debt collection laws and while we were talking i looked up the consumer finance, finance.gov website and they've actually made updates since november 30th 2021 so i'm going to educate us all including myself <laughs>
1: Thank you. And
0: put this link in the show notes as to what your rights are, right? So it says that collections agencies are prohibited from using abusive, unfair, or deceptive practices to collect debts from you, right? And it also means they cannot contact you at unusual times or at unusual places, <laughs> <laughs> that they know will be inconvenient for you. They cannot contact you before 8 a.m. or after 9 p.m. You're not allowed to receive and they're not allowed to send you communications at work. They cannot show up at your job. They cannot contact you at your job. They cannot call your boss, okay? That's <laughs> Unless good. it's the IRS. That's changed. They wages. <laughs> they may not harass you or anyone else in your family over the phone or through any other form of Contact And then what's really cool about the consumer finance website is that they have sample letters that you can use to respond to a debt collector who's trying to collect a debt from you. So if you do not want to talk to them on the phone, you can send them a letter. <laughs> Love it. And also the last thing I will say, they also say that telling a debt collector to stop contacting you does not prevent the debt collector from pursuing other legal ways to collect the debt if you owe it, including a lawsuit, right? So if you tell them in writing not to contact you, right? They cannot contact you again, but they can take other actions. So check out the link. It'll be in the show notes. It's really interesting, but really like, you know, as you said, Paco, it's important to think about how can you get screwed in the situation or you're taking a loan or you're in a collections process. What's the worst possible thing that could happen to you? You need to know, you need to do your research so that you're not taken advantage of and not just financially, but emotionally and mentally, because this is, it, this weighs on all aspects of your life, of your well-being, right? Um, Absolutely. So you want to do your research. So I love the angle of empathy that you come from. And I would love for you just to share some tips based on your experience back then and now as you continue to help people, right? For anyone who's looking for encouragement, who is just not doing well with their finances, who wants to make 2023 different for their financial life, for their overall well-being, for their for their mental health. What advice can you give them in terms of just getting stuff together from your
1: angle of empathy? Sure. First I want everybody to understand and realize that in every situation we can find our agency. And sometimes it feels like it's only a small thing, like shifting how we think about something, looking at things from a different perspective, but it's the first step to feeling like, okay, I have power over my situation. I have power over myself, even if it's just how I'm thinking about something. And that power can translate into action, which can then change how you feel, right? So a lot of times people think, if I just feel a different way, then I can act a different way. But really what happens is if you start acting a certain way, that tends to lead to you feeling a certain way, right? Sorry, I'm going to butcher this example. Like going for a walk is a really simple example. You could be sitting inside and saying, I don't feel like going on a walk and I just don't feel good. I'm going to wait until I feel like going on a walk until I feel good to go for that walk but really it's backwards if you just go for that walk chances it's are you're gonna go yeah you're gonna feel good so that point is meant to say that just Try to start where you are and take small, consistent actions. Don't worry about intensity. I think really worrying about just being consistent is really what's important. Understand the kinds of things that are going to trigger you. Like we talked about it earlier, when a debt collector calls or somebody who's in a position of authority, like somebody at the bank or even your accountant, if you are the kind of person that's triggered by authority figures... I think you should understand what's happening there so that you can go into whatever phone call or negotiation or tax meeting with a regulated nervous system. And and what I mean by that is what I talked about earlier of like making sure you're in a calm state, in the right state of mind Mm -hmm. so that when you are talking or having information given to you or navigating a small or large financial decision, you're not just freaked out and triggered, and worried, and scared, and in a position where you're vulnerable. When you take the time to calm yourself and regulate your nervous system, you can make financial decisions that are going to be rooted more in rationality, and cognition, right? It's a way Mm -hmm. to kind of break this cycle of of just being angry or embarrassed and guilty and ashamed, and then letting that emotion kind of drive the car. And then one last practical thing that I think kind of puts a bow on everything and kind of ties in all of these pieces of advice is is scheduling weekly finance time. I won't shut up about this. Every podcast that I'm on, I talk about (laughs) weekly finance time. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's As little as 20 minutes a week that you schedule on your calendar, you make it a recurring event. And it's time for you to start addressing your relationship with money. And again, it does not have to be intense. Like the analogy here, I'm so sorry for using a fitness analogy, but I'm not asking you to go from zero to a hundred, going from never going to the gym to like doing 50 burpees. I'm I'm not asking that. I'm just asking you to like drive to the gym and park outside and look at it. And then the next week walk towards the door and and maybe figure out whether or not you're going to go in. And what that looks like from a financial perspective is on your first day of weekly finance time, just maybe make a list of all of your accounts or maybe get all your logins and put them in a password manager. And now you have all your logins. And then maybe the second week you log into one of the credit card accounts you have and you just start to look at all the transactions, right? And then maybe the third week, maybe the third week you think, okay, I'm going to begin to research different ways to manage my finance from a spending plan and a budget perspective. And what you'll see is that over time, you're taking these consistent acts. You are choosing to find your own agency and you are letting yourself have a space to have this thing in your life expand. And you're showing yourself that this is important and that you're willing to invest in it.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I love the, so many gems that you dropped, managing your emotions, just getting up and doing something before you overthink yourself into this non-action taking situation. You know, there's a reason why people say, take that deep breath before you, you you walk into a big meeting, pinch your fingers, pinch your hand before you step on stage, right? So you can kind of center yourself before mm-hmm. you you have something that that either triggers you, makes you nervous, intimidates you, like, create your own centered balance by managing your emotions so that you can navigate this situation. And also I'm I'm totally with you when it comes to that money week, that time, money hour, money session once a week to just sit down. And like you said, it doesn't have to take long, a few minutes on your phone, looking at your, your spreadsheet, your app, whatever it might be, setting up your passwords, making checking your payments, checking your budget, transferring $5 to savings Just that small, consistent action on a consistent basis keeps your mind on your money, right? And helps you stay focused on what you're trying to achieve, whether it's getting out of collections, paying debt, saving, changing your financial circumstances, whatever it might be, just having that intentional action around your money every week is a game changer. So I I love the gems that you have dropped, Paco.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.
0: (laughs) So before I let you go, I ask everybody this question, please tell me what your clever girl superpower is because we all have one or several. (laughs) What can I ask what yours is? Oh, it changes. I think right now it is perseverance. I have so much going on and I've been feeling a significant amount of burnout, completely off topic from this podcast <laughs> episode. It's been really challenging lately. So I've been designating specific time off and just trying to manage my mental and emotional well-being. And so perseverance, getting through it until I can get to that break time is my superpower right now.
1: <laughs> love it, love it. I think my superpower is to inspire people. hmm I can get so excited and worked up about a boring topic like money. And I just, I'm good at coming. <laughs> Tell me at, about it. <laughs> right. I'm speaking to somebody who gets me here, but I can come at it from an angle that I think is really like a strange delight to the kind of people who think, Oh, this world is just, it's not been for me. I'm bad at math. They have all these really like program beliefs about how, just the world of finance is not for them. It just is. So much about finance is is imagination, right? Money is a shared delusion that everyone in society is believing in. If you think about what an interest rate is Mm -hmm. and what debt is, those are imagined concepts that in order for it to be real, you have to really use your power of imagination to make it real in your mind. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: I think if you have the power to imagine things, then, then not only do you have the power to understand these concepts, but you have the power to then change your own life. And Mm. I'm here to inspire. My superpower is to inspire you. And everybody listening, I want you to know that your potential for change is limitless. I love that. Your potential for change is
0: limitless. What a great way to start the new year. Pause and think about that. That is incredible. I love that. I love that. Your potential for change is limitless. I'm going to write that down.
1: <laughs> New post-it, right? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and then finally, Paco, tell people where, number one, they can pick up your book, where they can find you online,
1: keep in touch with you, etc. Absolutely. You can find my book, Finance for the People, wherever you buy books. There's also the audiobook that I read. And if you want to keep in touch, I suggest going to thehellyeahgroup.com right uh above the fold on the page you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter called the nerd letter it goes out every Wednesday and I send you some useful links and I send you my thoughts and my musings about money mm-hmm. in the world and my hope again is to inspire you that your potential for change is mm-hmm. limitless
0: I love that thank you so much for your time and for being here and for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us Paco
1: thank you so much for having me I really really enjoyed this
0: conversation Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.